How many of you would say that um, you're particular? It's okay. How many of you are particular? How many of you are married to someone that is particular? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I admit that um, if, if you know me at all, you know that um, I can be a, just a, a little bit particular about some things. Right, honey? A lot, she said. For me, this was on full display whenever we began to uh, uh, make plans and open up our Hebrews Cafe. I wanted everything to be just perfect. And that was one of the main things I was focusing on for a number of weeks. There's an illustration that goes with my message, which is why I'm going to talk about this. So just bear with me for a few moments. You might be thinking, why is he sharing this? Um, I want to talk to you about, some of you know this story, okay? But the, the tables and the chairs that, that we had ordered back there, uh, the bistro tables and chairs. Um, we talked to the manufacturer and they said, you know, if you, if you order them today, you should get them in about three weeks. So we ordered them about a month and a half, two months before Easter. Somebody's not happy over there and I just started to preach. That is not good. Um, Ordered them about two and a half to uh, one and a half to two months before Easter, so we ordered them in plenty of time. The tables came in three weeks, but the chairs did not come. So I called the manufacturer. Let's just pray for that little boy right now. He needs help, doesn't he? Bless his heart. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. The tables came, but the chairs did not. So I called the manufacturer, and the manufacturer said, Don't worry, have no fear, you will have them by Easter. Monday of Easter came, no chairs. Tuesday of Easter week came, no chairs. So I called the rep, and he said, There is a problem. Uh, they have uh, been back-ordered. Um, but don't worry, we will get them to you. And he called me back later and said, we have them, but we just can't get a carrier there to get the chairs and drive them to your church. And I could feel my blood pressure just rising. I said, okay. He said he was working on it. The next day is Wednesday, and the rep called me, and he said, good news, I have a, I have a carrier they picked them up, and you will have them by Friday, two days before Easter. Next day is Thursday. Now, keep in mind, Thursday is my sermon prep day. I need to be in my happy place on Thursday. I need to be in a place mentally to where it just, it's there. You know what I'm talking about. But one of the things that I was wanting to do is they said that the chairs were coming on Friday, it's Thursday. I wanted the tracking number information so I could find out what time because I'm typically off on Fridays, but I needed to be here in order to, for those chairs to come. So I called. On, this is on Thursday. I called the company. I talked to the rep. Well, and the rep was gone. He was out for the rest of the week. That made me just a little bit nervous. So I got a hold of the manager, and, and the manager looked into the situation for me, and he said, yep. I see where they're coming. He said, you'll have them on Monday. Exactly. That's just what I did. And uh, I told the, the manager the situation. I told him the conversation the last couple of weeks, couple months. 
And he did some more checking. He said, I'm sorry, there's just nothing more that I can do. And to make the matters worse, um, he told me that on Saturday, the day before Easter, the chairs were at a FedEx docking station up in Akron, Ohio. I'm like, sweet, I'll just get somebody's truck and we'll go up and get the chairs. And he told me, he said, but because it's Easter weekend, they are closed on Saturday. Now, to someone who is an OCD freak like myself, (laughs) um, you can imagine what this did to my little world. Now, listen to me. Some of you are thinking, who really cares? Well, to my own little world, I care. I felt I'd been misled, I'd been lied to, I'd been betrayed and all that stuff. Now, I didn't go crazy or berserk on the guy, but because I wanted everything just perfect for that Easter Sunday... And because I'd ordered everything in time like I thought I was supposed to, my level of patience was, let's just say, not what it normally is. And I let the manager know that. I got off the phone frustrated, frazzled, and I thought to myself, what on earth am I going to do? I can't have, if I'm going to have a cafe, I need to have cafe chairs and And on top of all that, how am I supposed to prepare a message for Easter? And then something just smacked me square between the eyes. And it led me back to reality. And as I tried to get my mind on the Easter message, it hit me. I don't know if you remember what I preached about on Easter Sunday morning, but as I went through this whole ordeal with this manager on the phone and the topic of the message that week is grace. Ouch. Getting quiet, isn't it? When what I had done, look, you, you need to realize your pastor's real, your pastor's human. Um, when I realized what had taken place, I thought, how on earth can I preach a message about God's grace on Easter Sunday morning when just mere seconds before that I was less than gracious to someone on the phone? I walked back into my office and the Spirit of God got a hold of me quickly. And I got back on the phone with that manager And I said, I need to tell you something. I said, I need to apologize to you. I said, I'm a Christian. And I said, that's not how Christians are supposed to be. And I said, it really doesn't matter. I told him, I said, if we have to use folding chairs, it doesn't matter. And I said, because on Easter, Jesus is still alive. (laughs) And God kind of jerked me out of my own little world. It made me realize, and... And you could tell he was very appreciative, and he said, you know, I didn't think anything of it. He said, obviously, this was our fault, and I'm sorry for the... I said, it doesn't matter. I said, I'm sorry. This morning, I want to talk to you about this topic right here. Are you a grace taker or a grace giver? Are you a grace taker or a grace giver? 
Listen, if we were honest with ourselves this morning, we'd all have to admit that there have been times in our life that we've been less than gracious. Amen? Let me say that again. We'd have to admit that there have been times in our life we've been less than gracious. Amen? And now I'm not talking to myself. You see, it's fun talking about the grace of God and what the grace of God means to us. But whenever we turn it around and talk about being grace givers, then it gets to be a little bit more quiet. It's not quite as fun. Why is that? Why is that? Why is being a grace giver a difficult thing? Again, if we're honest with ourselves, we all like to think that we are right about many things. Oh boy, now I'm starting to step on toes. We all like to think that we are right about many things in life. But grace means that we have to deny ourselves the right to be right. The right to do what we think we should do. And it means that we must forgive. It means that we need to let go of maybe the right of being right. And we need to show the love of Jesus. When the flesh does not want to, this can be hard. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, starting with the 14th verse. It will be on the screen for you. Let's read. For the love of Christ compels us... Stop already. Did you hear what it just said? For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died... And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word, of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Holy smoke, there's a multitude of messages in this passage. But there are just two points that I want to bring out to you this morning. The first point, we indeed are grace takers. 
We are grace takers. We've talked about this for the last couple of weeks, uh, the last couple of times I've spoken, but can never be reminded too many times about this fact. Those of us who received the grace of Jesus Christ, we are in essence takers, are we not? We have received, we are takers of his grace. We've taken and accepted the free gift of Jesus' grace. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. Not by works. Nothing that you and I can do. It is by His grace, by the blood of Jesus Christ alone. We have received forgiveness for our sins. Thanks to Calvary, we have been reconciled. We have been restored back to God. Now, some of you here may be saying, Pastor Brock, I never knew that um, I even had a relationship with God to begin with. For it to be reconciled, there had to be a relationship to begin with, right? What this passage is referring to, what we just read in the reconciliation message that we just read. This is referring to the relationship that was established long ago in the garden. You see, when God created Adam, they had the perfect relationship. Sin had not yet entered the world. Adam had a wonderful, pure, clean sinless relationship with God, a wonderful friendship with His Creator. But when sin occurred, that relationship was severed. And thus, every human being would be affected. Every human being, you and me, became sinful by birth, sinful by nature, sinful by choice. And every day... Now listen to this. Every day since that fateful day in the garden, God has longed to reestablish that relationship with mankind that he had with Adam. Now just stop and think about that for a second. God has longed for you and me. God has been chasing after the heart of mankind ever since the garden. I don't think that really hits you like it hit me. God? Big G? That's not a nickname, I'm just saying that Big G has been chasing after mankind. Has longed that relationship again. Name me another religion whose little God, or God, little g, name me another religion whose God longs to have a relationship with his people who are sinful and who have deliberately turned their backs on him. Name me another God. Name me another religion. You won't find it. And then to think that this restoration, this reconciliation could only be made possible by God sending His one and only Son to die? Are you kidding me? And then Jesus carried out this restoration process on the cross. 
Literally, that's what our song talked about during communion. Literally taking my place, taking your place, paying for our crime. You see, those truly were my nails, my thorns, my crown. That's what Jesus, see, folks, we need to be reminded of this, do we not? We need to be reminded that we are grace takers. Grace, it's the key element in reestablishing our relationship back to God. Consider it like this. Some of you may have heard of this illustration before, but consider it like this. Consider that there's um, a a courtroom and a judge situation, and uh, you've committed a serious crime and you're found guilty. You appear in court and face your punishment and receive your sentencing and before the judge and you will owe $1 million and then have to spend 40 years in prison. For most of us, all of us, that's more than we can bear. Now it's just a sermon. You know it's not really happening, but put yourself there. You owe $1 million and then you have to go and spend 40 years in prison And you plead your case before the judge and you say, I'm sorry, judge. Look at my record. It's been clean. It's been good. I've never done anything like this before. I'm I'm begging you, would you please help me? I don't know what came over me. Would you please reduce it? Please, can't, whatever you can do, judge. And the judge says, I'll tell you what. Since it's your first offense, he said, I'll reduce it to $10,000 and five years in prison. Church, that's not grace, that's mercy. Mercy is withholding things that we deserve. But then consider this. Consider that the judge gets up and he walks out from behind the bench and he stands right beside of you and then he gets into his pocket and he takes out his pocketbook and his checkbook and he writes a million dollars and he pays your fine. And then he says to you, I'm now going to go to prison and serve your 40 years of time. He says, but before I go, I want you to go with me someplace. And he takes you to his home. He introduces you to his family. Tells your story to the family. And he says, you know what? I'm going to adopt you into my family. Not only did I pay your fine, not only am I going to go serve your 40 years in prison, here you are with my family. I'm going to adopt you into the family. You get all the rights and all the privileges that a child, one of my children, gets in this family. And you know what? And when, Whenever I die, I'll give you my inheritance. Let me just tell you that my inheritance is out of this world. Church, that's grace. And in essence, that's what Jesus has done for you and for me. Grace. Years ago, I took a trip to Washington, D.C. with Parker on a school trip. And uh, we went and saw this place right here. It was the Capitol building in Williamsburg, Virginia. It's fascinated by that. And on one side of that building there, the, the round portions, on one side of that, um, it was a courtroom where only serious crimes 
were heard and tried. Crimes like horse thieves or robbers or murderers. And I specifically remember in that courtroom, and this continues to this day, but I remember them saying this in that courtroom, and I thought there's got to be a spiritual message here. They told us that in that day, several hundred years ago, in that courtroom, if you were accused of a crime, but later you were found innocent, the verdict was read, but they did not say that you were innocent. They just said that you were not guilty. Again, a practice still used today. However, when they kept the word guilty, and they explained this that day, when they kept the word guilty in the verdict, it still implied that you were somehow associated with something wrong. Some kind of wrongdoing, and this just struck me that day. You see, when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and ask Him to forgive you of your sins, the Bible tells us that you are justified. The Greek word for justified is daikaun. Daikaun. It's a Greek verb describing justification. Now, this is pretty neat. It says, when you and I use the word justify, it means that we or someone else typically tries to produce reasons why that we were right and not wrong, why we were not wrong and why we were not guilty. But that word, that Greek verb right there, is significantly different. It is not proving that someone is not guilty. What it means, <laughs> what it means is that when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you receive His goodness and His graciousness and His forgiveness, God treats us as if we had never sinned to begin with. Think about that. We are guilty. We are dead to right. We are caught. We are guilty, we, are, we deserve death, but his justification treats us as if we had never done it at all. Instead of treating us as criminals, God treats us as his children. Amen. This is what biblical justification means. This is what you and I have been given through the grace of Jesus Christ. He makes it as though you and I had never even sinned to begin with. That's the first thing I wanted to say, that we are indeed grace takers. But if you caught it at all in our passage today, it tells us that because because we have been forgiven, because we have been justified, because we have been reconciled back to God through the grace of Jesus Christ, we are compelled to show grace to others. Somebody say amen to that. We are compelled, verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us to show grace to others. Then in verse 20, it tells us that we are to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That means we represent Him here on earth so that our lives should reflect the same kind of grace that you and I were given. Easy to preach. Hard to do. We are to be grace givers. 
Listen, sometimes we're not as gracious as we should be. Our churches are filled with people who have been touched by the grace of Jesus. They've tasted of the goodness of grace. They've received, they've taken, yet many times we forget and we fail to be givers of grace. Bottom line, that we are either grace takers only or we are grace takers and givers. Really, well, you can make it one without the other, but that's not the way of Christ. Bottom line is we are either grace takers only or we are grace takers and givers. You see, someone once said that we can talk about grace all we want. We can define it. We can break it down. We can, we can talk about it. We can explain it. This person said, I'd rather see grace in action than talk about it any day. And if you think about it, the world can pretty much mimic just about everything a Christian can do. Right? The world can mimic just about everything that a Christian can do. You see, the world can feed the poor. They can clothe the naked. They can build houses. They can provide shelters for the homeless. They can visit those in prison. But the one thing they cannot offer... Grace. Can't offer grace. They may offer mercy, but they cannot offer God's unmerited grace. Our education system can't offer grace. Maybe mercy at times. I heard a story this week on TV where this little girl... She was battling cancer, and she missed the majority of the school year. She ended up beating cancer, and she had maybe like a month or so or one and a half months of school left, and she desperately wanted to get back with her friends and get back into the school, and and they denied her even coming back because she had missed too many days. Now, obviously, we understand that they've got to have their rules, they've got to have their regulations, but even our educational system cannot show unmerited grace. Our justice system is not a place where we find grace. Even our medical facilities and system is not a place where you find ultimate grace. Maybe mercy, but not grace. Church, the only People that can show the grace of God is you and I, the church, the body of Christ. Where else is someone going to go to find grace? Only the church can point others to the grace of God. But if they don't see it in us, is it getting quiet? No. If they don't see it through us and experience it through you and me, where else can they go? Are you a grace giver or a grace taker only? Are you a grace giver or a grace killer? Now hear me out on this. Believe it or not, not everyone who walks through these doors of ours will be dyed in the wool fourth or fifth century or fourth or fifth generation church of God. You hear me on that? 
Not everybody is going to have been raised in this church. There may be many people who have no clue as to who D.S. Warner is. Some of you are already saying, who's that? Most people who come through here have not memorized all four verses of the Reformation glory. There will be some, and if we are mission-minded, there will hopefully be many who will step through our doors who have never stepped foot into a church. People who have not been raised in a church, who don't know the first thing about church, how to act or what to do or how to dress, and I say praise God for that. And the question is, will we be grace givers or takers only to those who come to us like that? In our dealings with those in society and in our dealings with those in church, in our dealings with our children and with our teenagers when sometimes they mess up. In our dealings with that McDonald's worker today or who's going to get your order all messed up. In our dealings with pastors who have failed, church, we must extend grace. Amen? We must be a grace-filled church. For you see, grace is the only thing that will bring people back. Grace is the only thing that will draw people to our doors. The love and grace of Jesus through you and me is the only thing that will draw and attract an imperfect world that is hurting. Those of us who have experienced God's grace, we must never forget. That's why I began again reminding us the grace that we've been given. We must never forget the grace of Jesus Christ given to us because the moment that we forget His grace, that's when we forget to give it away. We kind of get inward. I was not very gracious to that manager on the phone that day. I just stayed in my own little world. My own little perfect world of being right. And I'd done everything that I was supposed to do. And I kind of let them know it. And the Holy Spirit... You see, grace is not a single act. It's an entire permanent attitude of the heart. You and I have an opportunity to extend God's grace to everyone that we meet. We have an opportunity to extend God's grace to someone today. It may not be in this building. It may be outside of this building. Be ready. God may put you in a situation to where He requires you to show grace. He wants us to show grace, be it here in the church or outside the church, during our Hebrews Cafe time, during our Super Thursday serving time, or out in the public. And I believe that when people come through these doors, they're not only looking for a God of grace, they're looking for you and I. They're looking for a people who have experienced grace. We have to flesh it out. We have to flesh out the grace 
of Jesus Christ. Listen, I once heard that every time the two words grace and truth are mentioned together in the Bible, guess what word comes first? Grace. What do I mean by that? Well, Pastor, Pastor, does that mean we don't stand for truth? Does that mean that we don't stand for what's right and wrong in God's word? No. We still believe in the truth. We still believe in the standards of holiness. We still believe in a right, righteous, God's righteousness ways. But we express it through grace. Through grace. Grace does not turn a blind eye to sin or or immoral behavior. We continue to state and stand for the truth in God's word. We still believe in his word and holiness and purity, but it must be done with grace. Listen, I'm through. I have one more story to tell. Different times you've heard me talk about a man named Harold Lohman. One of my heroes in the faith, he's now gone on to be with the Lord long-time evangelist in the Nazarene Church and Holiness Churches and Methodist Churches and 3CU. He is a pastor, evangelist, radio host, champion of Jesus Christ and the message of holiness. I remember him telling a story one time that went like this. He received a phone call one day from a man who would not give his name, but he asked Harold if he would come to the local hospital as soon as he could. Harold went and he met the man in the waiting room. The man came up to Harold and stated his name and said he needed to apologize. And Harold said, I'm sorry, sir, but what for? The man said, well, sir... For years, I've listened to your radio program, and to be honest, I've never really liked you. Never really cared much for you. He said, you see, I thought you preached it too straight. I thought you preached it too holy. You stepped on my toes too many times, and I really didn't like you much. And he said, so every chance I got, I lied about you. I spread nasty rumors about you. I tried to influence as many people as I could against you and your ministry. I tried to ruin your ministry. And he said, the reason I did not give my name on the phone is I thought if you knew who I was, you would not come to the hospital. Harold looked at him and he said, Sir, if you've ever done me any harm, I never knew anything about it. How can I help you? The man said, Sir, my daughter is in ICU and she's in bad shape and she needs a blood transfusion. She has a very rare type of blood and we have discovered through the records here at the hospital that you have that same kind of blood type. And we need your blood to save my daughter's life. And Harold Loman said, where do I go? What do I do? And Harold said when he said that, the man broke right there in the waiting room. 
And he said, you mean to tell me after all that I've done to try to destroy you, to try and ruin you, to try and take you down, you would still do this for me? And Harold said, sir, have you ever heard of a man named Jesus? He said, I know him. I've experienced him. He said, because of what Jesus did for me, I can do this for you. It's a hard message. Are you a grace giver or a grace taker only? Maybe there's someone in your life that you need to extend grace to. Maybe there's someone in your life that you know you've not been exactly the most patient with. Grace. It's the only way that a world is going to be drawn to Jesus Christ. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads, please? Mandy and the singers, if you all want to come up. You know me, I don't drag things out. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you at all, the altars are open. Maybe there was someone in here this morning that said, Pastor, I'd have to say... uh, You've spoken to me, and I would say back to you, it's not me, it's God, it's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you. Every head bowed, please, every eye closed. Please be respectful of this, every head bowed and eye closed. If God has spoken to you, would you just raise your hand? One, two, three, four. Thank you, you can put them back down. If you need God's grace... Today is the day that you can find His grace. Father God, um, we thank You. We love You. God, I thank You that You give us second chances. Lord, I thank You that You gave me a second chance with that manager on the phone that day. Lord, that's what grace is all about. Grace keeps giving me things I don't deserve. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that needs your grace, would you speak to them? Someone here that needs to extend that grace to someone in their life, God, would you speak to them? Lord, we thank you. Thank you for giving us grace. Thank you that we were able to tap into the same grace that we have received in order to give it to others. God, we are not our own. It's no longer about us. It's all about being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. 
The word that we just read tells us that we are compelled. It tells us that we now have uh, adopted the ministry of reconciliation. We now want to help others be reconciled back to God. And, And God, you use us to draw others. May we be gracious and reflect your Son. In Jesus' name we pray.